Doors creak and the tombstones quake. Spooks come out for a swing and wake. Happy haunts materialize and begin to vocalize. Grim grin and ghosts come out to socialize. Hello, magic makers, and welcome back to the Metaphysical Apothecary. We are your hosts, Shannon and Megan. Hi, everyone. Also known as the Scorpio Sisters, here to explore the mysterious, the magical, and the arcane. Hello, everyone. Happy 31 days of Halloween. (laughs) Day one. I do want to share that I'm getting over a little bit of an early fall cold. So that's why my voice sounds like this. But I feel like it's just super spooky. So it's seasonally appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) We have decided to kick off October or Ghosttober with the thing that most people think about when they think about the paranormal and the supernatural. And that's ghosts. What are they? Where do they come from? And what is the difference between the different kinds of spirits and entities that haunt places? Haunt places, people, things. Anyone who's watched paranormal investigation shows, you'll know the difference between an intelligent haunting and a residual haunting. Intelligent haunting is that entity, whatever is there, is aware of you. It's aware of its surroundings for the most part, and it can and may respond directly to your questions, your inquiries, your activities, and they can do this in different ways. They can affect the vibration of the third dimension that we're occupying. Residual haunting is not conscious. Residual hauntings are usually just memories that have made such an imprint on the energy of place. It's a recording. Yeah, it's a recording. Or like when you get something notarized and they use that embossing stamp and make an indent in the paper. It's like a supernatural embossing indent. So it'll just keep going through the same motions over and over again. If you see a spirit pass through a wall every night at 8.15 p.m., then means that there was something that happened at that time that made such a mark on the energy. It started an endless loop. Most of the time, we associate ghosts with human spirits. We're thinking about spirits that have not moved on from a place or a person after that corporeal body has moved off the mortal coil. That person has died, but the consciousness and the essence has remained. And this is absolutely something that can happen. It goes all the way back to ancient Egypt. They talk about the different pieces of the soul. One of those pieces is called the Ka. The Egyptians are one of the most well-versed and researched cultures of our past that have dedicated a good chunk of their civilization, their culture, and their lives to honoring, understanding, researching, and then passing that research on to the layman of what the soul is, what happens when you die, how to make the most of your journey into the afterlife, and what will come beyond the afterlife. According to the Egyptian sources, the Book of the Dead, and several other resources, there are several pieces of the soul. There's the Ka, the Ba, the Ankh, the Sat, 
two and the gem. These different pieces do different things and have different purposes while you're alive, but also once you've passed. And the piece of the soul that the Egyptians believed was your personality, was your ego, was Ka. What happened when you first died, the Ka was the first piece to break off and to watch over your body as it was going through the mummification process and then being buried and watching the burial site. So that way you wouldn't have grave robbers, you wouldn't be desecrated, and that your body could still be housed properly and do what it needs to do. It was you. The Ka was your personality. It was your ego. So what most people associate with ghosts, the dead who are interacting with you, is most likely their Ka. It's not their entire spirit. It's not even their divine spark, which is Ankh. Their Ka, their personality, is too attached to the life they lived in that particular body, with that particular life, in that particular place. And so they end up staying behind because they just can't separate. They can't detach from what happened during this period of time they were alive. Sometimes they're just satisfied. Some of the ancient Egyptian sources said that the Ka would sometimes stay behind if they weren't satisfied or they were too scared to move on to the journey to the afterlife because they were too scared that they were not living a genuine and authentic life, which would be their truth, capital T. And at the end of your journey from here to the doors of the afterlife is the hall judgment with Osiris presiding over it. Your soul, your heart would actually be judged by how heavy or light it was compared to the feather of truth. It was too heavy, you wouldn't make it past that judgment hall. You would not get the chance to experience the afterlife. You would not get the chance to be reincarnated later. You would not have a life after death. If you lived a genuine and authentic life in your truth, your heart would be lighter than the feather of truth. You would move on and live life after death, be reincarnated later on after you've gone through the processes. Right. The Ka also represents the ghosts who are too afraid to move on to the next stage of life, even during our times. Most of them you see on any of the paranormal shows, a lot of them will say they're too scared to move on into the light or they're too scared to leave something behind. That's because they may not know what's next, but they also may know that they weren't exactly living their authentic and genuine life, partially because they couldn't. A lot of social status quo standards were very rigid for most of our modern history. Right. And we're only just shaking those now. So imagine how many ghosts, how many hauntings of Ka ghosts are left behind because they were dissatisfied with not being able to come out of the closet. Yep. Dissatisfied with not being allowed to interact with or be with the person they love because the person they love had to be married to someone of opposite sex. Yep. So there's a great deal of ghosts who are cargos, if you will, who are just unfortunately unable to let go of that dissatisfaction and are attached to that negativity that are continuing to haunt the, the third dimension that we happen to be in right now. Uh-huh. One way to help a cargos is to listen to them, let them speak their truth in that moment so that way they can be less dissatisfied, so they can be heard as their genuine, true, authentic self. And most of the time, they can move on. 
Sometimes it's interesting because the Ka personality ego that was attached to that life and is haunting a certain area of that life they lived and an individual comes to that place has never seen it before, but it feels such a connection to it. And it turns out that they are a reincarnated soul that the Ka was associated with. Mm hmm. If you actually happen to be in a place that's haunted and you can't find it in yourself to break away from it, to sell it, to do anything more than keep it the way it is, even if it is deteriorating, you might want to see if you can't do some Reiki to help you move on and start talking to your shadow selves because there's some attachment that personality of Ka has not been able to move on from and thus is now trying to rejoin your reincarnated soul. But your Ka is currently in residence. So it might actually be part of malicious hauntings because it'll start attacking your Ka so that way it can go back with the rest of your spirit bits. Mm -hmm. Similar to the Egyptian soul pieces, both the Celtic people and the Nordic and Germanic people had similar beliefs in ancient times. The Celtics called the pieces of the soul that were not inside your body fetch. So you have a fetch beast, fetch life, and a divine fetch, if I remember correctly, but I'm not too sure about the fetch life or is it cardinal fetch. But the fetch beast is the animal that is your core your primal core self. This is your authentic, true self that is coming into your life the day you were born and is there to help you move through life as a human, but also tapping into that animalistic energy and instinct. For instance, my fetch beast is a dragon. Megan's fetch beast is a lynx. It's very similar to the demons that people have in the alternative world, if anyone's familiar with his Dark Materials, either the series, the book series by Philip Pullman or the series that's on HBO. The people in this alternative universe, their soul manifests outside their body as a being that they call a demon. And the demon takes the form of some kind of animal and they can interact with their spirit in a physical way. So the carnal fetch or the fetch life is very similar to a doppelganger, but it's not actually a demonic energy. It's not the fetch which was demonized by Christians that came in to Christianize the Celtic and the Nordic lands. It does look exactly like you, the human. This is your ego personality. This is like the ka. The fetch, the carnal fetch doesn't just separate from the body at death though it will also separate when you're dreaming if i decide to fall asleep now and i wanted to go visit megan my carnal fetch would separate from my body and go to megan's place and just be like hey megan how are you but it will also separate from the body when you're in danger of some sort and it knows that you're in danger so if you're walking down the road in the middle of the night and it knows that there's something up ahead that you need to avoid at all costs it will scare the shit out of you just to make you turn around and go the other way because it knows that there's something down there that's going to endanger your life and it needs you to walk away from that and that's usually what people thought was the demonic fetch or the demonic doppelganger because they would scare you and then it make you think that it was trying to steal your form and your soul because it looked exactly like you no it's actually separated from your body and is forewarning you if you keep going down this path there is something up ahead that is very dangerous and you may or may not encounter it and if you encounter it, you may or may not survive. Exactly. And then there's the divine fetch. And the divine fetch is your higher self, basically. You don't see it, but it's there. And it communicates with you when you need it to communicate with you, as long as you're listening. 
Uh-huh. The philia is separated in the same way. It's the philia beast, the carnophilia, and the divine philia, which is your kind of like your godlike self. The divine philia is basically our connection to source energy. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different traditions and practices around the world that believe in the multiple soul pieces or bits that make up the soul. So there's like multiple pieces of your soul that makes one collective whole that happens to experience this life. And then they, like I said, they have different tasks. They have different purposes during life and then after death. Exactly. And it's like we talked about the Ka has your essence from this life, your memories, your impressions, your consciousness from this life. The different kinds of philia and fetch are similar to that. Mm-hmm. And philia and fetch are also an excellent way for you to interact with a spirit familiar or a personal animal-based guide that does not culturally appropriate from marginalized indigenous groups. So instead of saying you have a spirit animal, which is something very specific to certain First Nation tribes, you can do a little research on your own background. Many of us have Celtic or Scandinavian heritage, and so you can interact with the fetchinophilia. So if you feel drawn to having that kind of relationship, you already have that capacity inside you anyway. You might as well learn more about it from the lens of your ancestors. Another kind of typical haunting that we can run into are PK manifestations that have been left behind by someone. That person is no longer there and they may still be alive. They may be alive, they may be dead, it may be a PK manifestation from the past, but when they left a certain place, they left emotions like the residual haunting imprints. They left an imprint similar to that of their emotions on the place. There was a woman on a paranormal investigation show. I can't remember the show, but she was talking about how she was the one who always got calls about the home that she grew up in, selling the house or fixing the house, things of that nature, even though the house was in her mother's name. And then The one time she actually called the house to let the owner know, hey, I'm getting these calls and please get my name off these lists. I don't live there anymore. And she said when she got on the phone with the new owner, this person was like, oh my God, I can't believe the sound of your voice. He had been hearing the voice of a woman speaking to him while he was living in this house and it was her voice. So the experiences that she had while she was living there left such an indelible mark on the energy of place that she left a PK manifestation behind her. PK manifestation is a psychokinetic manifestation. So sometimes if our emotions build up too much or too strongly, they can actually push out through our vibration and affect the world around us. In the form of seemingly chronic bad luck, you keep running into walls, things keep falling off of shelves, or maybe weird things start happening in your home, lights are flickering or doors are slamming. That's just one more type of haunting. So if you think your space is haunted, that's the first thing to look for after you've checked whether or not you have faulty wiring and stuff like that. PK manifestations are definitely things that you should be looking for after you've gone through the practical mundane stuff. And they usually are the most intense. They usually get also the bad rap of being a poltergeist. And they're not quite a poltergeist. They might act like a poltergeist, but a poltergeist has its own consciousness. Mm-hmm. But that's usually what people will go to. We have a poltergeist. Like, did you do any mental health and emotional checks lately? Uh-huh. Do you have any adolescent children in the house? 
Yes, because they will most definitely create PK manifestation. When they're in a group setting, adolescents, teenagers, and preteens, and young adults in general will also create poltergeists. My very famous one in pop literature, Peeves is a poltergeist manifested from all of the trickstery, playful, mischievous emotions. Yep. That's why most college campuses that you visit have rumors that they're haunted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boarding schools, rumors that they're haunted. Yeah. So if you got a kid in your house who's going through something, whether or not they've told you, school is emotional. They don't have to go through anything overly dramatic. Just doing school can be very triggering. Never knowing if someone's carrying something they shouldn't be carrying or what's going on. But they'll bring home all of those emotions, bundle them up, and all of a sudden you have things being thrown at your head. Right. This can be especially true if you suspect your child is autistic or your child is autistic. As an autistic person, I can attest to the fact that masking is one hell of a good way to create a PK manifestation or an egregore for your emotions. (laughs) 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 That's just going to float around and screw up. Yeah. So if your child is neurodivergent or you suspect that they're neurodivergent, there's a higher chance because they're repressing the unaccepted pieces. They will create a PK manifestation or an egregore for their emotions, which is also called the shadow self. Normally, the shadow self resides within your mind and your energy, but it can separate from you if you push it away hard enough. Mm-hmm. Other than human hauntings and psychokinetic hauntings. There can also be hauntings from malicious entities and malicious spirits. Poltergeists can certainly seem malicious. Malicious entities can come from a number of different places. And we have talked about this a little bit before, but it always bears repeating. So you definitely have lower vibration beings who want to harm you because that is how they strengthen themselves. That's how they pull in enough energy to keep doing what they need to do to stay in this dimension. Your destruction is yummy. Exactly. And they are attracted to places where traumatic things have happened. That's why places that have traumatic events behind them are usually so fraught with paranormal energy is because there are so many different kinds of possible hauntings in those places because of the trauma. Mm -hmm. So these entities, however, are a lot rarer than people would have you believe. (laughs) (laughs) Purely malicious what we may call evil beings are not as common as pop culture tells us that they are. Most often, if somebody is being attacked or bothered by an entity that seems malicious, it's either a spirit of place who does not want you there because that is their home, excuse you, or it could be to reference Andrea Perrin's work, it could be that there was such an overlap of time that the people from the past tried to exercise them from their own home. Yes. Andrea Perrin talks about a specific kind of haunting that doesn't get talked about enough that occurs when the past and the present coalesce. They meet each other. She's the author of House of Darkness, House of Light, the book that the movie The Conjuring is based on. And she lived in the home that The Conjuring is based on with her family growing up. So what she experienced to a certain extent with some of the paranormal activity that went on in that home was the past actually overlapping with the present. And people who were alive in the past, they're not residual, they're not 
ghosts, it's not a memory, they're actually alive, are looking through or walking through a window into the future and interacting with our present moment as though they are ghosts because they can't step through physically, but their essence can sort of interact with the present. And the opposite is also true because time is actually shaped like a nautilus shell. So if you look at a nautilus shell that has a spiral formation, it's very, very tightly wrapped in the center. And then it just spirals out larger and larger following Fibonacci sequence until it becomes large enough to house a creature or a being. Time is similar where it spirals out from the very first moment the time existed in our universe. And as more and more events filled the time, it became broader and broader as it spiraled out from that center. Nautilus shells have porous walls. Shells are just basically compacted sand and the walls are very porous. If you soak them in water or oil, they'll actually pull some of that in. Time is very similar to that as well. The walls of time can be porous, especially in certain certain locations are very prone to this. If it's near a fault line or there's ley lines that are crossing, time can be very porous. And people from the past can suddenly be present in the future and vice versa. There are places that there are time slips where people have reported walking down a street and all of a sudden they look around and everything looks very old and vintage. Some of the street names are different. Some of the shops are different. They look back behind them and everything looks different behind them as well. But then they walk into a shop and it turns out it's a cafe that serves oat milk lattes. They're back in the present now. So time overlaps itself. As we said, some hauntings and some ghosts are just spirits that live where you're living. Mm-hmm. It's similar to how some pests are just animals that are native to where you put your house. Yes. <laughs> we have skunk that walks through our alleyway almost every night in the summer and you smell that skunk but that skunk is native to the area is not it's living harmonious with us except for you know the stench and you could view that stench and that smell as malicious it's trying to harm you in some way but really that's just what skunk does that's a defense mechanism skunk just sprays Exactly. In central Pennsylvania, we live much closer to nature than they do in urban life. So we've encountered many a bug, many a different kind of snake. We've had bats in our homes. My sister had a deer jump over her. It was running away from something and she was standing in the backyard getting crab apples from our crab apple tree and it leapt over her and kept going. It didn't have malicious intent. If it had kicked her in the head, it would not have been on purpose because it wanted to hurt her. It would be because she was there in its territory. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness she wasn't hurt. But the same thing with the bat. They found a warm, dry place to nest. Why wouldn't they nest there? Mm -hmm. So spirits of place, it's the same thing. Spirits of place can also be elementals, too. So they're meant to protect that area. They'll get aggressive. Mm hmm. And they can absolutely get pretty nasty with you if they feel like they're not being respected or their space isn't being respected. Mm -hmm. So if that's the kind of haunting you're dealing with, you may want to do some research about the kinds of spirits that live in the area and see what you can do to live more harmoniously with them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes all it takes, too, is just researching whether or not your place of residence was close to or sacred ground. And then, you know, oh, I know exactly how to live more harmoniously with the spirits in the area. I will not be chopping down any trees. Exactly. 
oh, look, there is a raven skull here. I'm going to take that in and use it as decoration. Don't do that. That is not yours. It belongs to the spirits of the area. That is theirs. If I find something, it stays there. Exactly. If you're going to be doing that, that means you do have to start communicating with them and say, hey, I'm going to trade you this shiny thing for that shiny thing. Is that okay? And then leave the shiny thing you offered behind. Mm-hmm. Same with the spirits of nature, spirits of the trees around you, spirits of the sacred plants. Leave them a little something. Leave them a little bit of something that'll be nourishing to them or leave them just a little gift if you're going to take from them. Just a general foraging witchcraft tip there. Mm-hmm. If you are on sacred ground, it would also probably be a good idea to see if you can't find the Native American nation or tribe of your residential area or who used to be in your residential area. Do some research and see if you can't have a medicine person or shaman come out to do a blessing on your house to make sure that the spirits of their local tribe know that, oh, this is a not a enemy. Right. And that's an excellent point, too. If you do have a haunting that you want to address, you don't always have to turn to the Christian church. You don't always have to turn to the Catholic church either. A lot of Christian churches these days don't actually do exorcisms anymore anyway. So it's kind of hard to find a reverend who will do one for you. There's been a drastic increase on Catholic exorcism. You have to go through your archdiocese. You can't just go into your local church and say, I think I have a problem with a malicious spirit. You have to tell the archdiocese of exactly what's going on and they'll send someone out. And that might take a while. But if you are not comfortable with the Catholic church or the Christian church, you don't have to turn to them to help you with these things. You can turn to your local native tribe. Make sure that you are interacting with them in a way that puts you on equal footing. Be respectful respectful because they don't have to help you. Mm -hmm. You can also turn to your local hungan or mambo, voodoo priest and priestess. You can seek out someone who practices Yoruba and is clergy in the Yoruban tradition. Rabbis will do house blessings for you. You can at least talk to them about the resources. And obviously, there are more pagans in the world than there ever have been before. Just make sure that you double check any pagan person who's advertising house cleansings or exorcism services just to verify that they're legitimate. Okay, so you have a haunting in your space or you're interested in paranormal investigation and you've determined what kind of haunting it is. What do I do now? (laughs) Is it safe or wise to try to communicate with these beings and these spirits? And the answer to that is not hard and fast. It's very situational. If you think that the being is malicious and wants to harm you, you think that's why they are there. Do not try to communicate with it unless you are protecting yourself. Banging those pots and pans together and screaming at the top of your lungs may just work, even temporarily, until you get someone in there to help you do a house blessing or an exorcism. If it is a spirit of place, if it is a ka haunting from a ka ghost, even if you feel like it's a time overlap, it may be wise to make sure that you are communicating with those beings. So my aunt has two ghosts in her house. One of them we have named Mr. Smith and the other is just the lady. My cousin used to talk to Mr. Smith when he was little and now his son is doing the same thing. (laughs) Regardless of the fact that my family is very evangelical Christian, my aunt is not afraid of either one of these ghosts because she developed a relationship with them. She used to tell Mr. Smith, please don't turn this light on again. My electricity bill is through the roof. Just let it off. And he would listen to her. So she developed a relationship where she communicated openly with these beings and they let her live her life in peace. Mm -hmm. 
for some entities, that might be enough. Just talking to them out loud like you would any other person because they are human or they are humanoid enough that they have a similar consciousness and can understand us, that might be plenty. But there are other ways that you can get in touch with these beings. Ouija boards are probably the thing that popped into your head first. Ouija boards have kind of a fraught history. People get really afraid of them and not for unfounded reasons. Ouija boards are doorways. Mm -hmm. If you open the door, you need to make sure you close and lock it again once you're done. You also need to make sure that you have sturdy screen door in place or one of those Dutch doors with the half at the bottom so that you're not letting anything through that you don't want in. Mm -hmm. So you're allowing communication, but you're not actively inviting anything through into your space. They're not dangerous to use unless you use them incorrectly. It's kind of like using a kitchen knife. Mm -hmm. Or a hammer. Exactly. You have to be careful. You have to know what you're doing, but they're not inherently dangerous. No. Certain ways that you can use a Ouija board safely. First of all, recognize that it's not a toy. You have to use it with respect. Second of all, you can place a circle of salt around it. You can place uh, blessed items or protective crystals in a crystal grid around the Ouija board. And yourselves. Um, yes. Make sure you protect yourself. Whatever you normally do, veiling can work really well to hide your identity from whatever you're speaking with. Oils, jewelry, crystals visualization. Then once you are finished with your Ouija board session, hit that goodbye space with the planchette because that closes the door. Store it in a box with sacred symbols on it that represent protection and safety and safeguarding that object. Yes, do not burn it, please. No, burning a Ouija board burns the door down. Yeah, it burns the door down. That means you have no door. Anything can come through when you have no front door. Exactly. It's safe to bury them as long as they're in protected materials. The earth will purify it as well. You can't just bury the board and the box and the board will decay and then there goes your door. Right. So you have to put it in something that won't decay, at least not while you're still living in the house and preferably not while you're alive. Right. If the planchette goes to the four corners of the board, you probably are interacting with something that is not human or is not telling you the full truth. Right. A spirit that wants to engage with you that's actually a spirit that's not malicious or doesn't have malicious intent will go straight to saying hello. Also, if it starts doing a rainbow movement across the board, say goodbye and get out of there immediately. Cleanse everything, put the Ouija board away after you said goodbye and just stop the session. That goes for anything creepy that happens. Stop the session immediately and start warding, start cleansing, start clearing out your space. That is not a good entity that starts that rainbow movement. So there are other safer methods for communicating with these spirits, if you'd like. Pendulum boards, you can create a talking board. It's got less of a fraught history. Talking boards, you can rip them up, you can burn them because you just write them on paper and that will actually seal it rather than opening a door because they're meant to be used with something else. Mm -hmm. You hold your pendulum over them and ask questions and the way that the pendulum moves tells you yes, no, maybe, or you can put letters and numbers in a circle for more specific answers. You can also obviously use tarot cards. You can use oracle stones or oracle bones that have letters and numbers on them to allow these beings to communicate with you. You can also use digital recorders and EMF devices. Those are very easy to buy. EMF is electromagnetic frequency, and they detect 
that electromagnetic energy and the spirits are said to give off and they can interact with the devices to make them go off. Just make sure that when you're using the EMF, do a base reading. And if it turns out that you're at exorbitantly high EMF readings before you even go into a paranormal session, you might want to see if you can't get a professional electrician in to double check your wiring. Yes, hold it near the outlets and the lights and things like that to see if it goes off near them just Mm -hmm. to debunk certain things. Because just jumping straight into an EMF reader, everyone forgets that with all the electricity we have, with all of the Wi-Fi, we're putting off a lot of electric energy, electric magnetic fields in general. Yeah. But if you have a good baseline reading where those things aren't sending it off, an EMF detector can be a good way to allow those beings to communicate with you. The digital recorders, on the other hand, that could be a really interesting way to get more comprehensive answers. So all you do is you turn it on, you have a list of questions that you want to ask, you go down through the questions, asking them one at a time and pausing for a little while after each one. Give them time to answer. And then you go back through, turn the volume up and listen to see if there is any sounds on the recording that you did not hear with the naked ear while you were recording the session. So when you're thinking about ghosts and you're thinking about hauntings, it's important to keep in mind that it's not just always human spirits. It can be a psychic manifestation, an egregore for your emotions, a residual haunting or memory. The haunting that we traditionally think of as the intelligent haunting that's kind of hanging around like in the show Ghosts or like in a lot of those supernatural shows that have ghosts are sort of hanging out with the main characters. That would be where the person's ka has remained behind, even though their body is deceased and is no longer in use. That's all we have on our topic for today. Thank you so much for listening in, and we hope you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest for more witchy wisdom, both here and on our blog. And you can also check out our original art on Society6 for sacred decor and more. Thanks again for joining us. Go make some magic and live your best life. Bye! Grin, grin, and ghosts come out to socialize. Now don't close your eyes and don't try.